Welcome to the Irish Embassy Podcast, The Brendan Voyage, Part 2, Medieval Bestseller. Once written down around 800, and then translated in later centuries, The Brendan Voyage became a medieval bestseller, and a part of the European worldview about what might lie west across the great North Atlantic. In the early years of the 12th century, Queen Matilda commissioned a translation of The Voyage of Brendan as a poem in French. She was the wife of Henry I, son of William the Conqueror. Turned out, she had a bestseller on her hands. The Navigatio Brindani, Journey to the Promised Land of the Saints, was particularly popular with the Normans from the 12th century onwards. The Normans were very keen on commissioning histories and biographies of their illustrious relatives in what was a deliberate creation of a distinct lineage and identity regarding Norman society. As new conquerors, this makes sense. It was part pride in their achievements and part promulgation of their illegitimacy to hold what they had won by the sword by conquest. Aristocratic women from the Carolingian through to the Middle Ages were keen patrons of literature, using their wealth to further the arts in the expensive business of translation and publication. They exercised their patronage to ensure the development of culture within their societies. By the time that Queen Matilda commissioned the translation of the Brendan Voyage, the Normans had established themselves in England, creating a strong centralised nation-state that would eventually evolve into the British Empire. We thus have a fascinating conjunction of a wealthy and powerful royal woman, Queen Matilda, at the apex of societies created by a warrior elite, the Normans, find a popular hit in the life of an ascetic Irish monk, himself devoted to the renunciation of this world. For me, the appeal of the Brendan voyage with the Normans seems clear. As a Celtic version of the classical Odyssey poem, it is in a familiar literary form. It is an adventure for an adventuring society ready to head into the unknown. The search for the New Jerusalem, paradise, is the object of Brendan's quest. The Normans had just seized the actual Jerusalem as part of the First Crusade in 1099. The Brendan voyage involves a group of men headed by a leader whose qualities the Normans admired in their own leaders. Calm at a crisis, matter of fact in the face of daunting odds, and genius in finding solutions just in the nick of time. Brendan faced into the North Atlantic just as they had themselves ventured from their Norman dukedom in France to conquer England, Sicily and Antioch. These were men who understood the risks and rewards of venturing into the unknown. And that success depended on coherence within the group. When Brendan has chosen his 14 brothers, he gathered them in one oratory and told them of his fixed determination to find the promised land of the saints. How does this seem to you, he asked them. What advice would you give? In unison, they replied, Abbot, your will is ours. We are prepared to go along with you to death or life. Only one thing we ask, the will of God. The audience of Norman aristocrats listening to the cadences of this part of the Brendan epic would have heard echo their ethos of leadership, loyalty, discipline and daring. Brendan's triumph in finding the promised land of the saints mirrored their own wishes that their violence and invasions would all turn out well in the end that all was God's will. Everyone likes a Hollywood ending. The Brendan Voyage is told as fiction, based on real events and real places, but it's a Christian tale, ultimately an allegory about the path to God. For Brendan's battlefield is within himself, and heroic struggle in the Middle Ages has both personal and cosmic ramifications. His success is mankind's success. The prize that Brendan sought, salvation, appears to differ markedly from the very material wealth and status that the Normans themselves sought. 
Yet in reality, the Normans were too prepared to invest heavily in salvation, endowing and building abbeys, churches and cathedrals. They funded in large part the great renaissance of the early Middle Ages, expressed in such soaring triumphs as Chartres Cathedral and Mont Saint-Michel. For the Norman warrior elite, how to resolve the contradiction of being killers and good Christians was a conundrum, the easing of which gave the church its great political leverage in Western Europe. That leverage formed a partnership between the church in Rome and kings that was fundamental to the creation of the centralizing nation-states emerging in Western Europe from the 11th and 12th century onwards. The allure of the Navigatio Brendani stretched far beyond the Norman courts and it was enduring for centuries. Its power lies in the fact that it claimed to have found heaven on earth. Like El Dorado or the Maltese Falcon, the promised island of saints is what dreams are made of. Brendan's island thus became a fixed part of the geography of the medieval and renaissance world, a place that just might exist. Even Columbus noted the promised land of the saints in his journal. Its possible location was a mainstay of maritime charts for centuries. The idea that St. Brendan might have reached North America was but a short step from seeing him as an early European claimant to the landmass, divinely ordained. Finding any traces of Irish monks beyond Iceland is today hard to imagine, but it's possible. In reaching Iceland, the Vikings had followed the settlement patterns of Irish monks, destroying them as they went. When the Vikings reached Newfoundland around 1000 AD, it was the first time that humans finally closed the loop by travelling completely around the world. In global terms, the Vikings' achievement was less impressive than it first appears. The longest established sea route prior to that was from the Persian Gulf to Guangzhou in China. It remained the longest until the 16th century, at least twice as far as Columbus. Nonetheless, the Viking journey of Leif Erikson was epic, putting in place the final link in a global trade route that arguably was the starting point of globalisation. That the Vikings were hunting for monastic settlements and their Irish riches means that indeed Irish monks like St. Brendan played an inadvertent part in stimulating globalisation. The Brendan voyage emerged from a great monastic tradition in Ireland, one that contributed to the revival of learning in Europe after the fall of the Roman Empire. It combines the odysseys of the Greek world, the Christian worldview, and Irish Celtic tales of journeys to fantastical places. When we think of Irish connections to Canada, we always go back to St. Brendan as one of the preeminent explorers of the North Atlantic and the possibility that maybe, just maybe, him or another Irish monk arrived on the shores of Newfoundland. Above all, the Brendan voyage is about the wonders of our world and our insatiable curiosity to explore them. One and a half thousand years later, we can still read the Brendan voyage and be amazed. And that's worth thinking about on May 16th, St. Brendan's Day. <laughs>